Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Jedi who captured me seeks the map. She knows about Thrawn. Who is this Jedi? Ahsoka Tano. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Streaming, a Decoding TV podcast. I am David Chen. I'm Patrick Klepek. On This Week in Streaming, each week we cover a show that's new and interesting in the world of streaming. We'll tell you if it's worth watching, and if it is, we'll review and spoil and discuss the entire season of the show. Today we're going to be discussing the first two episodes of Ahsoka, Episode 1, Master and Apprentice, and Episode 2, Toil and Trouble. Uh, and next week, we will be covering the Max original series, HBO original series, Max original series, Telemarketers, which is a three-part docuseries that we will be discussing and spoiling its entirety next week. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on YouTube where we're broadcasting live uh, as well as Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, threads at Decoding TV. All right. Patrick Klepek, before we dive into today's episode, I think it's mm, it's fair mm. to say we got to do a little table setting for <laughs> uh, for what this podcast episode is going to be. Mm. Okay, uh, at this point, if you're listening to this and you have been for the last few weeks, you're familiar with mine and Patrick's work and our sensibilities. This podcast episode will be a conversation about Ahsoka as a TV show. From a casual Star Wars fan, a.k.a. Patrick Klepek, and an even casualer <laughs> Star Wars fan, a.k.a. me, David Chen. Uh, I just I need to emphasize, this will not be from the perspective of somebody who's seen Rebels or loves Rebels or hardcore Clone Wars fan or any, anything like that. Um, if that's what you are looking for, there are tons of podcasts out there. Uh, that will fill that need. And I would urge you to seek them out uh, because you will not find that here. <laughs> not the discourse uh, you're looking for. This huh? is, yeah, this huh? is not the discourse you're huh? looking for. That's exactly right. And I, I say all that because I think, you know, uh, there are a lot of people who might listen to this who are hardcore Rebels fans and they love Rebels and, and they love Ahsoka and they want to hear that fandom reflected back at them via a podcast. That is a very understandable human desire and i support you in it but that is not what you're going to get with this podcast so this is just going to be we're talking about it as a tv show what we patrick and i think about uh this show as as people who aren't super familiar with the character of ahsoka tano uh and so th that's what this will be that said patrick klepik why don't you share a little bit about what your familiarity is with star wars at this point because i think you're you're pretty much caught up on all the live action tv series is that right I am. Yes, that would be. Uh, yeah, I, I I do. Like, I love Star Wars. Like, I'm here for like all of the major tentpole stuff, especially in the like post The Force Awakens age where they moved from 
uh, hey, we're going to do a big movie around Christmas every couple of years to wrap up a trilogy and then go dormant for, you know, 15 to 20 years. Um, You know, it used to be that Star Wars were events. And I think Star Wars as an IP is sort of still an event, but uh, it has definitely been chasing the more serialized Marvel style nature of storytelling. And I think this television show epitomizes like, the complicated nature of doing that within the Star Wars universe, which is obviously something that we'll we'll get into and in unpacking our thoughts on the show. But like, man, there's a lot of those animated shows. There's many episodes, many seasons. I have friends, close, incredibly close friends. If you want to go hear three-hour discussions on a couple of Clone Wars episodes, like go listen to a more civilized age with like my colleague Rob Zachney, Austin Walker, and all other folks. Um I can't find it's time. Like it is, it is not a lack of interest in wanting to understand the, the previous context of these characters, but it is sheer time to invest in watching that show. Didn't have it in the past. Now I've got two kids. Definitely don't have it now. Maybe if my oldest is interested in watching that stuff in the future, great. I can be a parent and also watch a TV show instead of picking one or the other. Um, and, and frankly, like the closer we got to this show, David, the more I was interested in going into it as blind as possible with the previous context, because the show is choosing to not catch me up on that in a different fashion. And so how does this show hit and weave in those previous narratives while trying to be interesting to its existing, its uh, previous fans who have this previous context? That made the show even more interesting for me as someone that is vaguely aware of like, I think I, I know more, I know much more about Rebels and Clone Wars than you. There are certain phrases I could say that won't spoil anything, but would be nothing to you that I think are going to play enormous roles in where mm-hmm. this season rolls out. So I have just through like cultural osmosis of people yeah. being like, ah, oh, like this show's coming out. You should know what blank the blank world please, please patrick i know what <laughs> may the force be with you means okay you don't need to you don't need to gatekeep um, what's the world between worlds <laughs> i don't know maybe we'll find out later this season um but like so i have a little bit more but it's just it's just enough context but i i am i'm just someone who's broadly watching the live action shows and the films and is not and the games fallen actually the two video games actually have a surprising amount of tie-in um with uh mm. with here the most recent ones uh fallen order um and uh jedi survivor jedi survivor have like pr- like it, it it is clear there's gonna be some pretty uh key narrative through lines um between uh, those games what's happening here so uh i have a little more ground than you but i think we're on the same level of broadly not having interacted uh with the the animated shows that did so much work to kind of fill yeah. in the gaps left by uh the prequels in many ways yeah um why don't we just briefly, before we get into our overall thoughts on the first two episodes of Ahsoka, just talk a little bit about our experience with the live action shows. I'm I'm just going to be super upfront and say <laughs> I started watching Mandalorian and it became clear very quickly, like within five episodes, that this was not going to be a, a show that I would enjoy. Um, it felt like I, I'll just I'm remembering something that happened years ago. So this is just my vague recollections, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, it felt like mm-hmm. a show where. Um, very little happened from episode to episode. There were cool visuals. Baby Yoda is very cute and stuff like that. I know it's like way beyond that now, but like, um, it just felt like a show that felt very similar. It felt like from the kind of JJ Abrams school of Star Wars filmmaking, where we're, j- we're just going to refer back to things that have already happened. 
uh, and visuals and icon, uh, you know, iconic imagery and ideas that have already happened before, rather than forging uh, new ground. That, that's that's that was my relatively negative opinion of Mandalorian when I started watching it. Obviously, Decoding TV has re- re- reviewed Andor, which I thought was a masterpiece, one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, and so, so uh, Andor kind of reinvigorated my enthusiasm for the Star Wars universe. Uh, and then Patrick Klepek, uh joining me on Decoding TV on a regular basis made me feel, hey, maybe there's an interesting conversation to be had about Ahsoka. So that's why I'm back in the game, uh, <laughs> at, least, at least for the first two episodes. Uh, and so overall, my view on like these Star Wars TV series has been like, not even negative, just like I just haven't been engaging in them. Just I, kind I of a, you kind of exited from from yeah. even engaging them, and, I, and I'm definitely I, on the flip side of that. Where the, I mean, I think you're really selling the Mandalorian short. It is it is true that uh, it, uh, especially, at least in the first um, uh, uh, two seasons, which I found to be, I think the first season is the strongest, and I still quite like season two. Um, in that, yes, there is a referential nature that is one of the biggest weak points of modern star wars um i i wholeheartedly agree with despite you know the last jedi being about you know destroying the past it is a franchise that does not actually know how to do that or how to uh and, and engage with that as a like broader franchise concept but well, well Mandalorian- hold on, hold on. Let, me, mm-hmm. let me just i gotta cut in here uh yeah because please? because uh i think having spoken to ryan johnson a couple times you know uh-huh. on podcasts uh, he he always corrects people, right? Like the line, you know, uh, forget the past, kill it if you have to, is spoken by Kylo Ren. Uh, it is not the theme of the movie. The theme of The Last Jedi is uh, we must move. Like if you recall the ending of The Last Jedi, uh, they burn down the tree, but Rey still takes the scrolls with her. If I recall correctly, yeah, honor the past. Uh, like so, it's like yeah, you must honor the past, even but you must forge new ground and and uh, move on from it. So anyway, six Star Wars can't do that either. <laughs> so, so like well, whatever interpretation you want to take, I don't, I don't, you know, I, Fair I, enough. Yes, I, yes. I, obviously, I, I would, agree, you know, I, I will defer to the the filmmaker's thematic intent, but I, I think the point broadly still stands. And I, but the Mandalorian for me, like the not much happens. Buddy, that's like was one of my favorite parts about the show was like it was pulp in nature. Um, it didn't feel like empty calories necessarily as much. It was just like, I'm just here going on a journey with this guy, this weird little dude. What happened? Like, I don't know. They got up into a little misadventure. And this Mandalorian character, he's kind of a dumbass. He's not a particularly good hero. He's constantly getting tossed around and beat up and just sort of scraps his way to the end. And they move on to the next thing. And the lack of real connective tissue, like it felt episodic. It felt just like I'm just tuning in in an old school sort of way to an episode of a show that, yes, did have a connected narrative because, of course, it was going to. But that you could have plucked any one episode out of that, uh, especially the first season, shown to someone and be like, oh, like this was the one where they were on the ice planet. And like it was fun. Um, and you wouldn't feel like incompletely lost. You could enjoy it for the spectacle um, that was there. And that was my favorite part of those first two seasons of the Mandalorian. And the, the closer it got towards, ah, ah, like, what if, why don't we start? No, like stay in your box. Like the box was the cool part. I right. Right. The closer it got to intersecting with characters and events that we already know from the mainline correct, franchise. Correct. Right, correct. Yeah. Like, you know, never more epitomized by 
certain events that happen at the the end of season two of Mandal- uh, the Mandalorian, which I don't you know don't need to spoil in this in this segment. People will know what I'm yeah, talking they'll, about. They'll know what you're um, talking about. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so, but I've, I've kept along because I like these characters, I like this universe and I'm every once in a while, a piece of work comes along that like reminds me of like what's possible in the universe. And so I don't, I don't blame people for stepping away. A lot of it is just like, what is your baseline? What can you get out of baseline enjoyment out of something in that universe? Uh, absent it necessarily being something truly excellent, like an Andor or a last Jedi. And it sounds like for you, like, it wasn't enough anymore. Like just like it just hitting certain beats being in that universe. Wasn't hitting it for you. It still hits it for me where I'm willing mm-hmm. to ride the ups and downs. Um, and then you get to something like an Andor and you're like, Oh my, like this, well, this is actually kind of unfair. Like this, I mean, I'm glad it exists. Like I'd rather it exist than it doesn't exist, but it's also like, gee, like comparing like, anything, take the star Wars out of it. Like Andor is just incredible storytelling done within a, like, pre-existing franchise just on a level that is like really 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 hard to hit um and again i'm glad it exists but it makes for comparative to anything else that is out in the world like that is going to be a that's a high bar to clear uh, because andor i think exists on its own sort of s tier of of, it's just a good great television show that happens to be in star wars uh and has benefited from it but um you know you could take a lot of what's in that show and rip the star wars part out and it would still have been tremendous Right. I was talking with a filmmaker who said uh, Andor uh, it, it, it's not necessarily so good that it makes the rest of Star Wars look bad, but it's it's more like the fact that Andor takes place literally, I think, um, in the time leading up to A New Hope, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and... It, if you watch it, if you were to watch it, you hope after Andor, it would seem very silly. It, you know, it would seem like very <laughs> low stakes compared yeah, to like, to- the stuff going on. The tonal on shift is yeah, the pretty tonal shift. That's, that's the thing. Yeah, the tonal shift. Because yeah. you're going from a serious political thriller, like about revolutions, <laughs> right. to exactly. like a pulp, like Star yeah, Wars exactly. started pulpy. Space opera. Yeah, exactly yes. right. Exactly right. Okay. Well, uh, so that's where Patrick and I are coming from when it comes to Star Wars, right? Uh, so all that said, let's talk about Ahsoka. Uh, again, I, I must reiterate, we have no you know, deep familiarity with Rebels. We're just trying to evaluate this as like, hey, this is kind of, I know, and I also know Ahsoka has appeared in Mandalorian episodes and so on. So um, one, one episode. And also Book of Boba Fett, if I recall correctly, right? Yes. Uh, and so I, I know Ahsoka has been in this universe live action before, but it's like, this is the, this is kind of like, the the big intro of this character to the live action format it's it's, it's her own show uh, so all that said Patrick Klepek let's talk about overall thoughts what do you think of the first two episodes of the show uh, I will say I I'm glad they released both episodes because I think the second is stronger than the first and helps fill in some gaps that I was waiting to be filled in the first uh, especially in regards to who are these characters what are their individual motivations and a personal relations to one another. Why are we sad about this hologram? Why is everyone talking about Ezra? Like <laughs> some of that stuff still not answered. And I think will become uh, unfurled further into the show. Or at least I hope for it to be more unfurled uh, into the show. But I broadly, I quite liked it. Um, I think some of the the action is like really thrilling. Like the, the fighting style of Ahsoka is like different enough from what I have seen from other Jedi style characters that, it's tough to make a lightsaber scene 
seem interesting these mm-hmm. days. There's just been a lot of them. Um, and sometimes the way to make it interesting is either to give it big thematic stakes um, or, uh, you know, like the, you know, obviously the throne room scene in The Last Jedi where it's like there's thematic stakes, but also just visually arresting. Like it is just going to grab you. And here, because of the nature of the budget, uh, the scale, the fact that you're working in the volume, you have certain things kind of working against the production um, on a broader standpoint, but like Ahsoka as a character and their fighting style is just, is just fun and interesting and surprising. And like multiple times throughout both episodes, every time that an action scene was going to occur, sometimes that's a groan when you're w- working with the star Wars television shows because of the nature of how they're made and here, despite probably also still having limitations of working within the volume and all that entails, what she actually did in those scenes and the kind of quiet swagger she has was just like really thrilling. Um, like all the way down to the, you know, that sequence in the second episode when the ship is leaving with the, the big warp drive and that <laughs> lightsaber like kind of swings back and she just sort of dodges out of the way of it. Just there, I think the character, you know, I know we're going to talk about this, about kind of how the character like carries themselves, how a lot of these characters carry themselves can feel a little awkward from a directing standpoint. But I don't know. I'm, despite really feeling like I'm lacking some context, I don't think that lack of context is like burying the show. I don't feel like this show is, if you don't know who these characters are prior to this, even if you didn't watch The Mandalorian uh, and don't have some sort of context for like how ahsoka intersects with this slice of the star wars universe i do think it's doing a sharp job of setting up the stakes for these characters and getting me invested and and frankly uh setting up some weirdness in the star wars universe that you know like witches and other mystical uses of the force like expanding like what i it all it all sounds pretty interesting to me i don't think it's you know it's not andor level but i just sort of take that off the table because like i said i think Mm -hmm. that's a comparative misfire um i just most most television's not going to be that good let alone a star wars show but in in terms of the star wars shows i have watched um i think this is a pretty good one and i'd frame this to you when we were talking about how we might approach uh covering this show on the podcast going forward and i (laughs) distinctly said regardless of the quality david i will be watching all eight (laughs) episodes of this show um and it's above that, right? Like it is, it is. And I, and I would arguably say like far above that bar where like, I'm, I'm actively having a really good time in a, I always like, I watch all these shows with my wife. We tend to watch everything together with some very rare exceptions. Um, and she's always an interesting, like, like I'm, I can get Twitter osmosis on clone wars and rebels and some context of these characters because of my job. She is the most offline person. And I, I, love it about her dearly she has no idea what's happening on the internet and i love her for it and it keeps me grounded but it also means like what do you think of this show and like the first episode you know she comes out of that and goes kind of slow not super sure what's happening and then the second episode is like that's pretty sick i like i want to see what's in that galaxy and i'm like okay i'm not i'm not totally out of line here um and that always makes me feel better when the two of us are kind of like on the same right. Right. wavelength with the show so I, I come out of these two episodes genuinely excited and interested to see where it's going and i don't know about excited but interested to see how they can make me care about all the ancillary characters and the way they're going to weave them back in and i would think i think that's like no more heightened than this character of ezra because it's just like 
clearly it's important to the show and the characters. <laughs> yeah. And I just think it's such a huge, how are they going to climb this mountain of dozens, hundreds of episodes of emotional investment right. and make me care about something that's big moments that are clearly being signaled to happen in this show. And I'm, I'm at this point, I don't have to pull it off, but I'm curious to see how it plays. Beautifully said as usual, Patrick. Uh, my summary is not going to be nearly as eloquent or lengthy as that. Uh, here's my reaction to Soak episodes one and two. It's fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. It, mm-hmm. Here's what's great about it. I think it overall looks great. I think the stuff you said about Ahsoka and her fighting style, uh, I think they, they've done a good job with the character, bringing the character to life and making her seem cool. I think she has a real aloof vibe going on that uh, I think makes it very strange to me that she is kind of the person that is the central character of this show. Uh, I, I don't, again, not familiar with the characters, Pat. Maybe she, you know, there's no need to write in to decodingtv at gmail.com and say she was aloof in the show, in the, in the uh, cartoon. We're acknowledging. We're acknowledging. Like, we're it, acknowledging. I, I don't really care what she was before. I'm simply saying what she is yep. now. And it's like, it doesn't make for a super engaging watch for me. I'm not like, oh, like, yes, that's the most interesting character. I would argue she's the least interesting character in the show so far, right? Like, this is me folding my arms. Yeah, exactly. She's just like really like. And just writing a furious email about Rebel (laughs) Season 4. I thought you were imitating Ahsoka just now, but uh, I was, yeah, she's just like kind of folding her arms and kind of like looking pensively or looking (laughs) disapprovingly. Like that's a lot of what the character does in the first two episodes. Uh, And meanwhile, like other characters are really uh, extremely dynamic by comparison, Mm -hmm. you know, like Sabine Wren, uh, arguably over the top in their dynamism compared to Ahsoka. So I I do think it's an interesting choice to make Ahsoka the main character, given what we see of the character in these episodes. Now, highly likely, the character is going to change over time and open up and, and so on. Um, here's what else is great about the show. Uh, I think something that people really didn't like about Andor is, quote unquote, it doesn't feel like Star Wars. There are no lightsabers. There's no force, right? Like, these are the issues people had with Andor. Um, issues completely absent in Mandalorian. Issues completely <laughs> absent in this show, Right. This is what people are looking for when they want that Star Wars feeling. There are lightsaber battles and ship dogfights and so on. And, and, and they're actually really cool. Like, they're really well done. Lots of star I, maps. You get a star map. You get a star map. Everyone gets a star <laughs> map. I was a huge Star Wars fan growing up, Patrick Lepic. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually spent a lot of time reading... Uh, the Ex- expanded universe book. Ah, I so you, oh, you are familiar with *Heir to the Empire*, right? Like, uh, yeah, uh, I've read *Heir to the Empire*. I've read a bunch of those Timothy Zahn books, and, and because for a long time that was all we had. Like we we had the three movies, and then mm-hmm. a bunch of books, and that was it. We had nothing else. Uh, and so I was, I love, I love the original trilogy, and I'm like, I'm desperate for more of this universe. Uh, and so I read a bunch of those books. Then they said, guess what? None of those books are true. <laughs> but but I did read a bunch of books with Grand Admiral Thrawn, so they did bring that character back. Interesting um, from the expanded okay, universe. Right. So he was in the books I read, and they're like, "Guess what? We're not doing that anymore." But uh, they decided to retain some elements of it, including Grand Admiral Thrawn. So I actually have a lot of associations with Grand Admiral Thrawn 
from decades ago, from like when I read it, this these books in my childhood, uh, even though I haven't seen his character in the animated shows. Uh, so, uh, so it's exciting to me to like see Grand Admiral Thrawn in like this live action context, and and that that there is a part of me that is like uh, moderately interested in that. That said, so th- th- those are all like the positive things I have to say about the show. <laughs> Run uh, out of those. There's a whole other bullet point though. <laughs> that. That said, I find the overall style and I would say cadence of the show, which I will get to, I will describe in detail later on in this podcast, um, to be borderline unwatchable is probably too strong. I find it to be very slow paced, very frustrating in terms of how slow it is. Um, it's, you know, uh, when I uh, on threads, I threaded about the show, um, and I said, <laughs> "Sorry, sorry, I just threw up in my throat a little bit." Sorry, keep going. I said the show is made up of broadly drawn characters speaking at a painfully slow pace, delivering clunky and repetitive exposition. That's kind of how I feel about end quote. That's how I feel about a lot of the show. Is that like, uh, and maybe that's a function of what you've said, which is they have to like catch people up to what has happened in the past with these characters. And maybe that will be less of a problem in, in the episodes to come. I doubt it. I doubt it. Um, but uh, I do want to acknowledge, like they're, they're, they're trying to do a lot of work. The, the task before them is difficult. They have dozens and dozens of episodes of this animated show that they want, they, they want people to lean on, but they also need newcomers such as myself to understand fundamentally what was going on there. Uh, so it's a tough task. But I found the show very challenging in that regard. Uh, just literally the style and cadence of dialogue is tough for me to sit through. Uh, and there's also just weird stuff that happens that I'm just like, I, I, I'm baffled by some of the storytelling decisions. And we will talk about those momentarily. So those are my overall thoughts on Ahsoka. It's fine. I didn't hate it. Didn't love I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as you. Um, but I, and, and I certainly think it serves a role for people who are uh, looking like fans of the animated series and also just looking for that Star Wars fix. I do think this will deliver it for them. So those are some of my overall thoughts on the first two episodes of Ahsoka. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right, Patrick Klepek. 
let's talk about what happens in the first two episodes. So uh, mm-hmm. episode one, Master and Apprentice. Uh, we are not going to spoil the episodes. The first opening crawl occurs since 2019's The Rise of Skywalker and the first for a Star Wars TV show, which reveals Ahsoka's premise. Tracking down the missing Imperial Grand Admiral Thrawn, worried he could start a war just as the New Republic is settling into running the galaxy. So let's pause here for a moment. Uh, this series takes place in the time between episodes six and seven, right? Uh, the Empire has fallen. The New Republic is taking hold. Unfortunately, we already know how the story ends, <laughs> which is that <laughs> it's not going to go well uh, if, if The Force Awakens is to be believed, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I thought this was a very fun, invigorating opening crawl. I don't know if you had any thoughts on it. Uh, it gives... Um, I, I, it's it's so it's such a curious choice because it it, it gives a real gravitas to yeah. the storytelling. Like, part of... I don't know how much of that is because we haven't seen it in the television show. How much of that is... I didn't realize how much I missed it uh, mm-hmm. as part of just the overall aesthetic of sitting down for a Star Wars story. Um, and I, like, I, I was tickled by the appearance yeah. of it. Um, yeah. And I, I, I thought it like did its job, didn't overstay its welcome. Um, I'm glad it's not like <laughs> every episode, like, and hey, we're back. What previously on Ahsoka, <laughs> we're right, going to do right. this through the crawl. But I, it's especially if what they're setting up, is you know they've announced you know well this is a very common thing star wars thing you announce a film and then you don't make it but these these tv shows are off and running if any of the movies do happen i would be fairly confident this one probably does because the tracks are actively being laid and these television shows are coming out and being fairly successful on a, at a regular clip um that by putting that crawl there in some ways you're acknowledging this like hey like this really matters. Like this crawl tells you as the viewer, we are laying like narrative groundwork in this show for things that are going to have big impacts in this universe. And that, that's a, you know, that's biting off a lot. Um, and especially you can set yourself up for, for failure if it doesn't necessarily pull those things off between this weaving of television shows and, and films, which is sort of the opposite of how we've seen it with, things like Marvel or just like most franchise productions started a movie level, go to a television level. This is started a movie level is using side characters to go to television level. And then it's going to go back up to a movie level, which is just a weird moving between um, audiences and distribution methods and just production making. But that's a long way of saying like, I really liked it. And um, I'm yeah. glad it was there. <laughs> I thought it was solid. It's, it's a, it's a solid. It felt like stylistically uh, in spirit keeping with, you know, what we've seen from the movies. And so. if you're gonna, ha- you know, this point you made about uh, where this series more than probably any other, um, because of the baggage it comes with, with its, with its characters in terms of where they've appeared elsewhere um, has a lot of exposition that it has to do like by requirement just to get people from point A to point B. And you know what? If you got to dump some exposition, like a crawl is a great place to do it. And, and like, it feels right and normal. And like, like if you have to do some, uh, how do we explain our premise? Like the crawl at least feels naturalistic to the setting. Uh, My only object, look, (laughs) I, I love your enthusiasm for the show and do not wish to, 
blunt it in any way. But the Dave, only this has been the premise of this podcast I've been doing with you so far is like I think Twisted Metal is a flaming sweet tooth style pile of garbage. I'm having a laugh out here, David. <laughs> We're having a good time with this show. Hey, hey, our situation, our, our positions are sometimes reversed, like full circle. You know, like I think I was like holding the the flag for that show. Uh, uh, I, I I agree with you if that is what the show did. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm, then the show the show shows you the opening crawl and then proceeds to repeat those plot points yeah, over and over and over again, making yeah. the opening crawl completely unnecessary. So it does like, not feel like the crawl was. If he, it, you know, who knows how this has actually happened, but it does give the impression that the crawl was like in a room. Someone was like, you know, it'd be really neat. Or like <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy's like, you know what, this one you get the crawl, and it's it doesn't feel as though the crawl was written in conjunction with the scripts where we like the assumption right. is, hey. Right. They've read the crawl, so like, Mary yeah. So we don't, we don't need does, to. We Mary don't need Elizabeth to. It doesn't have to do some just like explaining of character motivations to a hologram at some point. Exactly. Um, say what you will. Say what you will about Rise of Skywalker, uh, of which I can say many negative things. But <laughs> uh, introducing the idea that the Emperor is uh, is still alive. It's like it just picks up right at that point. Like there's no. Alzheimer. It doesn't go back and be like. It's like one of the most famous memes of the movie is somehow Palpatine returns. So it's like, it's just like, hey, we're taking it for granted and we're moving forward. We're not going to go back and like re-explore that idea, yep. um, which yep. unfortunately I think is what they showed us. Okay. So the, the, uh, Ahsoka opens with two characters. Balin Skull, a Jedi turned mercenary, played by the late Ray Stevenson, who like, great actor, dedication Aww. for Ray. Like it really, you know, you're yep. seeing one of his last roles and uh, and it, it, it was a delight to see him because I do think he's very talented and, and obviously very respected. Anyway, and uh, Shin Hati, his apprentice, boarding a New Republic ship, uh, killing the captain and much of the crew and uh, escaping with a prisoner, Lady Morgan Elspeth. Elsewhere, former Jedi Knight Ahsoka Tano tracks down an orb that holds a star map pointing towards Thrawn. Ahsoka's ally, General Hera, recommends an old friend, Sabine Wren, might crack the code. Sabine, in between avoiding ceremonies meant to celebrate her past victories, mourns the apparent death of an old friend, Ezra Bridger. Ahsoka begrudgingly asks Sabine for help with the star map and reveals that the Star Wars universe apparently has witches? We learn Ahsoka was at one point training Sabine to be a Jedi, and after the two depart, Sabine solves the secrets of the orb and reveals a star map to an unknown galaxy just in time to be attacked by an attack squad sent by Morgan Elsbeth, who's also seeking a path towards finding Thrawn. So that's what happens in the first episode. We should also point out that at the end of the first episode, Sabine gets a lightsaber in the torso, like right yeah, through. Yeah. Real uncomfortable right, spot. Right in the torso. Good. Uh, Didn't look a, good. A blow that we have seen kill <laughs> many characters in Star Wars in the past. Mm-hmm. Right Now, I had already seen a screenshot of the character of Sabine Wren with a shorter haircut. So I was like, okay, she's not dead. Um, because we're going to see her later on in the show with a shorter haircut, which is what happens in the next episode. Uh, so there was no suspense for me, like there was when Amelia Clark's character died in Secret <laughs> Invasion. I guess I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily put uh, put two and two together with the like screenshots from sure, uh, sure. potential for the episodes. I just I was like, this character is clearly from Rebels. They're not going to, they're not going to kill. Like I just, I didn't take any stakes of that, and I just, I, I don't. I, I, I don't I know that the show was necessarily even communicating that like she should be dead. I just felt like she was like, this is why she can't get up and because she got a freaking up. lightsaber through yeah, her chest. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just gotta say, I, I'm gonna say this once, and I will. I hopefully will not harp on it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
pretty confusing to have characters die of lightsabers going through you. And then literally we see her in the next episode and she like reveals the wound. It looks like if you had like a, if you left a, a, a quarter in your car, like in the sun and you like put it on your body and burned yourself a little bit. Like, that's what it looks like. It looks like also in theory, when she, when she got hit by that, if you had, if she stood up and you leaned down and look at her stomach, in theory, I could see through the other side. I'm assuming that the lightsaber disintegrates whatever it's touching. I, it yeah, that is my assumption. That is my assumption. So there's, but she looks like she's got, it, it was comical how little the wound seemed to affect her at, at, at all. Um, so, mm-hmm. Anyway, it, that bothered me, but you know, uh, whatevs. Okay, putting that aside, uh, any thoughts on this first episode? We've talked a, a lot about kind of how they had to uh, set the table with Ezra and so on. Like Ezra is obviously really important, um, but yeah, any any other thoughts on like how you thought this episode played out? Uh, other than obviously like portraying, uh, Sabine Wren as this like master analyst that solves a Hellraiser like puzzle box by just like turning three, three knobs. Um, uh, <laughs> she does so much work in acts, frankly, both episodes into like the show is called Ahsoka and, but where I'm getting grounded in both episodes is really like the enthusiasm of Sabine Rent, like that character and everything they represent and the actions they take in both episodes. And uh, frankly, the arc that they appear to be on, uh, which we learn much more about in the second episode. Like again, the title character is right there, but the emotion, like Ahsoka has no emotional entry point for the audience. Um, especially if you don't ha- like, like they seem to be making a, a pointed effort if you don't know where she, how she arrives at this emotionally, if you don't know the previous uh, uh, appearances she's had in the Star Wars universe, you don't have the emotional uh, connection to the journey she's been on with, you know, her former, uh, 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 you know, uh, you know, working with Anakin Skywalker and stuff throughout Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, she's very closed off. There's no way for the audience to even empathize with her uh, because there's not, there's no there for for you, and so. Sabine acts as this character for the audience. And I think the, I can't speak to how are these actors nailing the adaptations of performance, but I find her extremely compelling. I find the idea of like this, like former, like kind of like spurred, uh, like kind of apprentice that like, you know, is is trying to be, all that just sounds, she seems really interesting. And like, I'm hoping the show, like as we get, hopefully get an entry points into Ahsoka uh, as, as a character, They've got her and like when she's on screen, it's magnetic and I, I want to see more of what, what she's up to. And so she did a lot of the, the work for me in this episode, especially when it's a lot of chess pieces, like be, clearly being played, like the struggles of a pilot and the struggles of a pilot doing so midstream in a, in franchise storytelling. And this one having the unique challenge of like, a de- like it's a sequel while also an adaptation of like and it's like so it's a lot to keep in your head um but it's like that between her like that that character and where they're going and uh frankly like every time ahsoka gets into a, a combat sequence um that did a lot of the work for me in terms of being like interested to see what lied ahead in in the second episode and and that like yeah it's finding a macguffin it's finding a doodad but at least if you're gonna do something as 
which is Star Wars has done a million times before and like just did it multiple times in like the, the, the recent trilogy of films, like a lot of finding maps to find people. Um, if you're going to do that again, like the actions on the ground better be interesting. And like the whole bits with her dual lightsabers and the circles with the like yeah. attack droids, like it was just extremely was like, it actually surprised me. How often are you surprised by an action in a, in a lightsaber fight? And like, they got a laugh out of me in a way that was like, man, if you can keep that kind of, momentum with the show like over the course of it that will do a lot of work as you're getting the audience to care about the characters and up to speed on the arcs because it kind of needs both of those if you're going to get people like you and me to care at all about the emotional journey they're on yeah i mean i have some questions about the design of the city uh that sabine was in uh she was riding a speeder to show how rebellious she was Mm -hmm. Uh, and the road seems to go to nowhere. Uh, like it just goes to the <laughs> desert, which like is generally not how roads work. Um, so, but you know, could have I'm, used a planet wide shot. Give me just one, <laughs> like show me a planet name in the corner. And then like, give me a sense of where that, it is one of those moments where you, you, you get a wide shot of the, the downtown, whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have a sense of what is the structure of this planet that would explain I agree. A very a question you're not thinking about in the moment as like a race sequence is playing out, but the moment it ends, it's like, does this road just lead to her house? Like, did they? Yeah. Just, <laughs> she was so <laughs> victorious in these cartoons. They're like, we got to build a road to Sabine Wren. Like, yeah, the road yeah. to Sabine is right down this path. I have a lot of questions about the urban planning that was going mm-hmm. on in that city. Is, is all I have to say. But uh, may- maybe that was the case, and a lot of people will, will write in to decoding TV at Gmail.com and say, "Hey, <laughs> actually, you dumb dumb." It was. They, I'll actually was, take that answer if there is an answer because <laughs> it's I the believe... Sabine. It's the uh, Sabine Wren uh, freeway. That's what it is. You know. Well, so, I think that maybe. city is. Um, you know, Clancy Brown plays. The, you know, the mayor, and I believe he is the voice of that leader in the cartoon. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if actually this is an instance where instead of us being snarky it's like if there is an actual answer yeah i, I would be curious I to know like I what what I is welcome. the structure if 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 that was revealed in in the in previous works uh the the scene with balen you know balen and his apprentice uh, taking over the ship i thought it was a pretty cool scene uh it, very similar to other star wars scenes like star wars he's got a pe- presence though man like he's he's he, awesome like he's there awesome. are just certain actors that when they just put on the Jedi veneer, some pull it off better than others. And like he, the moment he is on screen and you get a sense of his deal, he just exudes it. And there's just something like some actors can just exude that. And, and it's part performance and part of just intrinsically kind of how they're built and present. And man, like every time he's on, it's like, it's he, he projects in a way that is really fun. I agree. Uh, I, I, he, he's actually probably my favorite actor in the show uh just like in terms of what he's doing i do think uh star wars folks have a thing for hallways (laughs) you know like people love it when the hallways happen like the guy tearing down the hallway and it just gives you another hallway thing so uh on the one hand it's it's exciting for people on the other hand it's like i feel like i've seen this scene a bunch of times uh it's done well here uh but it's like it's a it's another Mm -hmm. star wars hallway yeah. Uh, what else to mention about this episode? Um, yeah, uh, that's 
mostly it. They, you know, they have the star. There's a lot of like twisting of stones and rocks uh, mm-hmm. into so the things are in alignment. Uh, I, I am, Lots of slow camera pans over things that will be important later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like look at these glyphs. What do they mean? <laughs> right. Stay, stay tuned for Secrets of the Glyph, Episode Six. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of. They're very like a lot of what's happening here is, and I think this is true across episodes one and two is, and we'll see how successful, like what does it mean to say we're going to different parts of the Star Wars universe, like not the same planets, not the same peoples. Um, but like there's, there's a lot of work being done in Ahsoka to set up, like we're going somewhere else. Like this isn't just the same places we've been before there's a decent chance that we're going to different places to do the same things. Um, that would be the danger. Um, but you know, it does, there is a lot of work being done in, in, in a, Ooh, ah, mysterious sort of sense. So like, we just don't know what these things mean, whether the answers are interesting is, is like something we are not going to be able to answer, uh, you know, at least to some degree till later in the season. Let's talk about episode two, toil and trouble. Sabine Wounded, trying to fend off Elsbeth's squad, is recovering in the hospital when she reveals the discovery and subsequent losing of the secret star map. Simultaneously, Balin and his apprentice arrive at a strange rock formation that holds an unknown power, while Ahsoka discovers a hidden attack droid hiding out in Sabine's home. It's an unexpected gift, though, as the droid's backup systems manipulated by Sabine can reveal where it came from. Morgan Elsbeth arrives at the rock formation, revealing it's not an ancient Jedi temple, but the creation of a more ancient people. Elsbeth reveals Thrawn calls to her across time and space. And when Shin Hati asks why finding Thrawn is important, Balin says it will give access to power such as you've never dreamed. Ahsoka heads to the planet where the droid came from, which includes an old factory run by Elsbeth during the height of the Empire. She discovers a plot to smuggle equipment to Elsbeth, and despite the best efforts of Ahsoka and General Hera, a critical drive core escapes the planet and heads towards Elsbeth and whatever she's building. Meanwhile, Sabine has a revelation over her past. She cuts her hair, dons her old Mandalorian armor, and joins Ahsoka on her quest to find Thrawn and Ezra. Ahsoka then refers to Sabine as her apprentice, and we're left with a massive circular device, uh, a shot of a massive circular device being built by Elspeth. So that's what happens in episode two. Any, uh, I, I mean, uh, the action scenes in episode two were awesome. Like, yeah. uh, Ahsoka fighting off the droids and... Uh, the sort of uh, aerial fighting, I-, I thought that was all like really, really well done. And it makes up a significant portion of episode two. Um, it so does. I, yeah. Like I when, I was, great, when I was, I yeah. was, yeah, when I was going back and, and kind of writing up the recap and it was like, it's like, all right, what else is the, the rest of the episode? It's like, well, the next 10 minutes are a cool fight scene. And it's like, skip, like, you know, as I'm just like, like making sure to put down so we could, we could talk about it. It's like, it's, it's, I think notable that, you know, for, uh, that, that those fight scenes are as memorable and as interesting yeah. as they are. Cause I think that is, that's difficult to do in star Wars because it's like, you can see the series trying this over and over, over the course of its history. You know, you have like a, a Darth Maul where he's got a sick face. And then also like, it's like the lightsaber comes out both ways. And then you have other ones where it's like, they're holding one in each hand. And you know, it's like, how many different ways can we hold a laser light uh and make it interesting and so that that's you know the fact that ahsoka clears that bar i think a couple different times across both episodes where there's a it's it's the fight it's not just that her fighting style is different but it's 
like the enemies they're giving her to fight and what she has to do as a result of that to sort of adapt to the fight. Um, like I found interesting uh, frequently. And I know it seems like, of course, like a Star Wars show should have like decent lightsaber action, but I don't think that's a, a given, especially on the scale of a, of a television show where they probably aren't spending as much time setting up doing the choreo like you're because you're gonna be doing a bunch of these over a number of episodes as opposed to hey we're doing a two-hour movie like this is the like the big set piece that's to sell the heart of the film it, it would be it was easy to imagine that stuff falling by the wayside a little bit more in a, in a television show where you're uh, kind of like checking off a box and i'm at least uh i'm grateful uh that ahsoka is like really putting in time to make those feel meaningful and not just checkbox filler um like we'll see how often they can keep that going through the rest of the show because i think right now they're finding a a decent line between like there's just more you can achieve in animation right um um where characters can do things that are much harder to pull off in live action Uh, and so far i think they're finding an interesting balance of how do you do things that are a little more exaggerated and different with this character, but also realizing uh, you have to shoot it with real cameras, you know, like in the volume. And so a lot of that stuff stuck out alongside just a lot of the, the Sabine stuff really working for me. Like this character that has <laughs> the sequence. Uh, I didn't have this as a side note, but like I'll just, now that it's occurring to me, like the TV shows have good ass robots across the board. They do uh-huh. like yeah. every new show seems to have like, another good one um and like this one has two the character of chopper which i know comes from the television shows like he's great like the thumbs up like the attitude that little guy has on on the side of the ship is great the like uh, uh ahsoka's robot is fantastic and the sequence he has with uh sabine where they talk about the lat like training being a jedi like i found that all to be like pretty touching and interesting. And I don't know how much of that is in one conversation, trying to communicate a bunch of stuff that happened before, or if this is brand new, either way, it totally worked and sold me on like a really kind of fascinating star Wars characters. Like what if someone wants to be a Jedi wield a lightsaber, but is basically being told, bro, you got like zero connection to the force. Like it sucks for you. Like you're not anywhere close to that. And then what does that mean for this? What does it mean to be a Jedi? What is, the force mean to this character. And so all of that, like obviously, because I keep returning to it in this discussion, like ended up really working for me on a, on a character level. Yeah. We should also acknowledge that uh, Ahsoka herself is apparently not a Jedi, right? Uh, she uh, used to be, she was a former Jedi Knight, but is no longer a Jedi. So she has Jedi skills, uh, but no longer thinks of herself as part of the institution. Uh, so I, I think that will be a major element of this season is like people's relationship to being a Jedi and whether or not they are a Jedi Uh, credit where credits do, you know, there is some very uh, mild political commentary going on in this episode (laughs) where uh, the, uh, are you familiar with the concept of the Muppets and uh, Muppet babies? In what way? I mean, I'm familiar with the characters in the, in the frame, like what's the relationship here? Oh, I just feel like like uh, this episode's plotline was kind of like Andor baby. Oh. Like, <laughs> well, um... I, I very much like that when they uh, like uh, 
it's, at the end, it was just like, ah, I expected someone to just go like, ah, capitalism. Yeah. What a bitch. <laughs> like, you know, I like, it, yeah, it, it was felt like very much. It, like, it was yeah. like, oh, you know, what, wait, why are all these people are, uh, working, you know, some of these people They're- were loyal to the empire and, um, and it's like, it's because of greed. That's why, Patrick. In it for the money? They were in it Ugh. for the money. Ugh, I hate when that happens. You know, like, which is not, ter- it's not a terrible message, but it's like f- relatively simplistic, I would argue, you know? Yes. But it's but it's yes. like, hey, uh, I'm glad they're like at least trying to provide some kind of nuance to sure. what happened in the, you know, between the events of uh, episode six and seven. Well, uh, in, in, which, in, which, uh, which has I, I always I, been a big question mark in my mind of sure. how you get from the empire falling back to, by the way, the empire is back again, right? And so, if this show can help to illustrate some of those things, then uh, I think it will be providing uh, a useful service. Uh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, in addition to the uh, like wagging finger, greed and capitalism is bad sort of like bit in there. There's also yeah, that storytelling that you're talking about or that kind of like world build world building happening where like, well, did you just employ all the people that worked like here before the right, bad right. people? And like, well, yeah, what did you, like, they're here. Like, what did you, like, what did you expect us to do? There's and literally not enough humans. Have you seen how big one of these death stars is? You yeah. Know, right? right. And, and it's, it's fascinating because, um, you know, Dave Filoni, who is the showrunner on this and has has uh, is re- is responsible for working with George Lucas to come up with these characters across Rebels and Clone Wars, um, is is credited with doing enormous narrative and world building heavy lifting to like fill in the gaps left by Lucas or like stuff like mm. th- why does this have narrative weight? Like why is this stuff interesting? And like a lot of the reason people tell me the reason they love rebels clone wars is because it retroactively makes the watching the prequels much more interesting if you assume that as all part of the same tapestry and in many ways it's it's interesting to see like is that is that job of like doing what george lucas <laughs> didn't in in his his second trilogy of star wars films now having to carry that same job into what was lacking in the most recent trilogy of right. films, which is yeah. exactly what you're talking about is just, ah, we kind of want to do a new hope again, an understandable impulse uh, as, as, as much of a cheat as that might, might be for revitalizing the franchise and bringing it back. But then how do we get there? And it's very clear, like Abrams and, and, and like that whole group putting together that series of films, like d- just didn't really think about it. Like, or at least they didn't surface it in the films to let you, have any sense of how did we get here? Just don't worry about it. We're here. And, and it seems what might be happening with this uh, series and maybe the whole arc of adapting those uh, Timothy Zahn novels for taking inspiration from it and bringing Thrawn in is, Hey, we're going to give now retroactive narrative weight and heft to the, the action, like the events of the force awakens, because we have this whole timeline. That's basically a blank slate. That, the, that these film showrunners and directors and writers ignored. And if we fill in those gaps, suddenly this is all, this timeline is going to make a lot more sense. And so it's kind of interesting to see Filoni suddenly in that place a second time. Um, but that requires a whole lot of extra viewing to, to make other things make sense and work in a way that should have been done like more concretely in the original works themselves. Yeah. Uh, I agree with with pretty much all that. I do want to clarify the the ex- extended or expanded universe was 
declared to be not true, or I think it was right. it's now rebranded as something called Star Wars Legends, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, and there was all stuff that like Luke and Leia did, adventures they had that like you know are no longer like canon anymore. Um, so I don't know that it's gonna. I, as far as I know, Thrawn is like the biggest thing that they've taken from those things. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other Star Wars experts bigger than me. Okay, Patrick, we've already talked a little bit about how well we felt this uh, these episodes did of setting up the stakes for the show with Ezra. It's hard. It's hard. They're not showing flashbacks with Ezra, right? So they have to have people like sitting around talking about how cool Ezra was. And that's difficult. That's difficult to mm-hmm. like make you care about that. But um, I think the show has done a competent job of like setting that up, right? That was yeah. one of the topics I wanted to discuss. We have to talk about this other topic, <laughs> which is this is, this is your big. This is your big one. This is I. I you, you've been very patient, David. Yeah. I appreciate it. You've wanted to talk about this the entire time. You got your little <laughs> clips. I'm so excited for you. Well, no. take, please take. Please take it away. Please take I, it away. Okay, I just need to know. <laughs> if it's if it's my imagination <laughs> that people on Ahsoka talk incredibly slow. Uh no, it is it is incredibly not, your, it is not your like, imagination. Um they the people in Ahsoka speak at a glacial pace. And I'm going to play a couple clips. I just grabbed a couple clips uh and I'm just gonna play them. So people like, cause I'm talking, I've been referring to it this whole episode of podcast mm-hmm. and people are like, come on, Dave, it can't be that you're, you're, you're making things up, David Chen. <laughs> so I'm going to play some clips and we will listen to them. And then people can tell me if they think I don't know what I'm talking about. Here is a clip from the first episode of Ahsoka. I'm going to need that scan. Can I take this? Where are you going? Somewhere I can think more clearly. I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> I thought the clip had ended. <laughs> Why? <laughs> this isn't just about finding Ezra. It's about preventing another war. You think I don't know that? map stays here. Okay. <laughs> all right. So that's, that's a clip from episode one of Ahsoka. All right. Um, I'm going to play that. Lest you think that was just like the slowest scene imaginable. Here is a separate clip from episode two of Ahsoka. All right. Here we go. This is Sabine in the hospital recovering from her what appeared to be mortally wounding lightsaber wound. Here we go. She doesn't want me back. She wasn't even thinking about me. To be fair, you have never indicated that you wanted to come back. Forgot how annoying you are. Logical. It doesn't matter. I never had the talent, the abilities. Not like Ezra. That much is true. Thanks. All right, so that's that's obviously a lot more normal paced, and I, I do I don't, I don't want to be clear. I, I do want to be clear that like there are many scenes where people talk in a normal human cadence, but there's also many scenes <laughs> like the ones I just played. Okay, now for final final clip comparison, here is a clip from Andor. 
okay, uh, of people talking. So this is just a clip from Andor. I, just, I literally randomly just grabbed this before we started recording the podcast. So here we go. This is Andor talking with uh, the character played by Fiona Shaw uh, as uh, things, are, things are going badly for Andor, basically, in this clip. Who else knows? About what? That you were born in Canary. You don't want to hear what happened. We'll get to that. But who knows? Who have we told? I don't know. I... We have always said Fest. Every doc I've ever submitted has always said you were born on Fest. Have you ever said anything other than Fest? Officially, no. I don't think so. But people, yes. Who? And so do well, you. Well, how many? I don't know. It's not something I've been keeping track of. When everyone I've told is dead. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Jesse. Samu. Huh? That's family. If we're making a list, we're making a list. Well, it's all your women I'm worried about. Oh, come on, please. Femi, Carla, Stop, Sondi. stop, stop. There's some names I don't even know. So, to to me, there is like a, like a marked difference. Like, the people in the latter clip, like, feel like they're humans having an, uh, an actual intense conversation. Uh, and the people in... There, there's a lot of, like high school uh, production energy in the first couple clips of just like <laughs> of, we're, we're saying our lines and pausing mm-hmm. for dramatic effect. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, it's clearly a stylistic choice, right? Like it is clearly something where it's like, say this line, pause three seconds, wait until like, wait three seconds. And then you say the line and you know, like that has to be, how this is because it doesn't people just don't arrive at that naturally um but for me it absolutely doesn't work at all like it's just it's painful to endure because it's not like what they're saying is terribly interesting it's literally just we're going back and forth talking about like the map and like i so i i posted on threads about this and somebody was like they're supposed to talk like that david they're sad it's a sad time period of life look (laughs) Shock! This may shock you, but I have seen TV shows and films where people are sad and upset. Okay, I would argue that this is beyond what you would expect from people who are like kind of in that situation. Okay, people now have heard the evidence and they can now hear all the evidence and say, David Chen, you have no idea what you're talking about. That's fine if you don't agree with me. That's fine. Um, But I've at least like presented the case in a in as a decent of way as I can. Uh, on this podcast. All right, Patrick Klepek, I, I await your judgment. What do you think? <laughs> the thing is, it makes a lot of sense with Ahsoka, right? Like that character, how they're presenting her kind of the pensive, like standoffish, judgmental attitude, which would be in, you know, uh, in kind with a, with many, many, many Jedi. Uh, it, it would make sense with her. And then you could imagine a show that like it, is a show that's orbiting around her would then have characters frustrated or having tension with her as a result of her attitude, behavior right. towards yeah. others, the standoffish nature. It is, it is definitely odder when it's a stylistic choice. One, I posit one, one theory I'd seen this floated around. I can't credit to anyone. So I, I apologize. Cause it just sort of was like in the ether um, when I was reading about the show, but it's been a long time since I watched the prequels. But if you think of Dave Filoni as somebody who is immersed in the world of the prequels, like born out of Mm -hmm. George Lucas's style of filmmaking Mm -hmm. specific to the prequels, which memory serves. Last time I watched the prequels was, I think, in the lead up to Force Awakens, just to like for funsies, has more of a theaterish, dramatic quality um, to it. And so maybe I'm overanalyzing it, but I do wonder if 
it is not then shocking to see Filoni when then he decides to move into live action ends up imitating the creative that he's been so closely aligned with studying, working with for several decades now. Um, maybe that's wrong, but that was, that was one reading that I saw from somebody that sort of added up as, as, as a possibility. I don't necessarily agree that it's a good one. I did, definitely didn't find it as distracting as you did, but it, it's, it's something especially. So the second clip sort of, I didn't really notice that much. The first clip, look, I started laughing at multiple points because I thought Dave wanted me to save some, say something. I was like, oh, am I missing a spot where I'm supposed to jump in? It's like, no, the clip's not over yet. And so like point made, like you, you got, you got me. Um, but um, <laughs> that was uh, my intention. I wanted to get you Patrick. No, yes, yes. but, but yeah, uh, it, it's, I think that it sounds like it wasn't as distracting for you, but I don't know that it is like fully working for you either. Like I think the, their structure, yeah. what I mean by that is like, it, it's clearly a choice, meaning they've made that stylistic decision to achieve some kind of creative end or emotional impact. And it doesn't right. sound like it's having that impact either. Like, you're not like, oh, the weight of this is so heavy and I feel it in these characters and the way they're talking. Well, and it's one thing if it's um, like this character that's a, like appears to be, I think they're called Night Sisters, um, is sort of like the witch adjacent, like force sensitive characters. Like, yeah, when a witch comes on the screen, like I expect them to sort of talk in riddles and the pacing right. to be off. And that's why Absolutely. it makes sense also for Ahsoka. But like, it's so it doesn't make sense for Sabine Wren, who is like a pinball, like bounce, bouncing right. off the screen quite literally. Um, so that I think that's I think that's where uh, I fall somewhere in between, like where you're at, and I think where the show is at. Where like it makes sense stylistically for certain characters, certain. Yeah. M- uh, modes of of discussion it makes less sense as a doesn't come across as padding necessarily as much as it's just like again there were like those when you played that first clip i think that was very illustrative of the issue uh is like the, there's like there's uncovers you do a lot of podcasts i do a lot of podcasts part of what you learn to do over time is try and navigate like uh blank spaces in conversation sometimes you yes. want to give space to a conversation and other times what you're doing with the person you're you're talking with is pausing to give them an opportunity and it's you over time developing a natural way to understand to navigate giving room, things room to breathe and then also like you're handing the baton to someone and like you're supposed to pick it up and here like you keep waiting for the other character to pick up the baton and they're just like it's just so hard these star wars you know i i just don't know and and i'm with you it it doesn't work as a broad stylistic choice uh, across the an entire episode yeah um not enough yes anding going on uh mm-hmm. in the show mm-hmm. at least uh, all i'm looking for is a show uh, a star wars show where people speak like recognizable humans that's like that's really <laughs> all i am i'm not even joking that's all i'm looking for uh and I, I and to be fair there are some stretches where that does happen in the show so like i'm not saying it's all terrible but there's many many sequences where people speak in such a stilted uh cadence that it is quite distracting to me okay uh those are my biggest beefs with the show patrick klepik you had one or two topics you wanted to mention right yeah, we uh, touched on one of them uh, briefly, but I, I wondered what you made of this show's decision to try and expand, like, a, you know, I, I like The Last Jedi, I think there, you know, there's an argument made in favor of expanding what is the definition of, like, who can use the Force, why are they allowed to use the right, Force, right. Um, you know, and, like, it could just be, you know, a kid in a, you know, 
in a broom in, in the middle of nowhere. Um, here you have, you know, in Sabine Wren, a character who does not appear to be force sensitive. Like maybe they'll, that's something that will occur over the, like the arc of this series. I find it like far more interesting for it to be someone who is like interested in the Jedi ways as a philosophy. And maybe that also means you get to use the lightsaber, but it doesn't necessarily mean you get to hold up your hand and like push objects. And then the introduction of witches, which, um, so the night sisters, I believe are from clone wars or, or rebels, like from that era, but then are very prominent in the, the two recent electronic arts, uh, star Wars, uh, games in which, you visit Dathomir, the the Night Sisters, like uh, home planet. Um, before I think they were wiped out by, I think General Grievous, uh, in in uh, previously. Um, and one of the characters you meet there becomes part of your crew. They're a central character in the in the second season, and they introduce a whole different style of using the Force, where like it's this green energy. It like it allows you to do like I don't know what does a witch do? It's like well they can do that, and they do that with the Force, which is kind of fundamentally different than our conception of what you use the force, whether on the light or the dark side. And so that plus, so like, it's like those two things that make me curious and interested in like this show working as a way to, to expand the definition of what does the force mean? Like it's, it's in one direction, right? Like, like you said, like there's, there's a show like Andor that like gets rid of all of that entirely. And uh, a movie like the last Jedi that is, you know, expanding it sort of like in terms of like, who's allowed to use it. That doesn't mean like your blood is special. And then you have something like this. It's like, Hey, we're going to have the lightsabers and we have all the star Wars stuff, but also we're going to give you more kinds of force users. So I just wonder where you landed on whether there's something you've really even interested in, in this franchise dealing with like where you fall on things like the force and like wanting to see a different spectrum of people use it. Uh, kind of how that landed in a show that is at least playing with those ideas. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, Dathomir, I believe, is the planet Darth Maul is from, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think, I, yeah, I believe that's true. Yeah. And uh, as for witches in the Star Wars universe, hey, I'm I'm game for expanding the idea of what the Force is, what it can do, and who can use it. I think that's uh, all potentially really interesting stuff. Apparently, uh, they the witches of Dathomir have like interesting Force skills that other Jedi don't, like necromancy and things of that nature. Um, and th- that'd be cool. You know, there's a lot of like unexplored ideas around the force that I think this show could uh, potentially bring to light. So I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely open to that idea. I'm not I'm not closed off to the idea because I think one of the big dings against the J.J. Abrams, uh, Ryan uh, Johnson sandwich of movies is that. Uh, I, I believe something that George Lucas said. I, I think this is accurate. That like George Lucas was disappointed in the new films because he's like, there's no new world. Like there's no new ideas, mm-hmm. new worlds. Um, and yes, Witches of Dathomir is like not necessarily something that is brand new for this show. I, I think it was also mentioned in Boba Fett and so on, um, and in the animated series. But like the idea of bringing it to the live action thing, um, yeah, new worlds, new ideas. I'm totally for that in a Star Wars show. So. Uh, we'll see how that develops. All right, Patrick Klepek, any other thoughts on the first two episodes of Ahsoka? Uh, no, I mean, I just reiterate what I said at the top that I'm excited to be excited um, because, like I said, I'm gonna, I was going to drag my bones across this this show to the other side because I'm invested in the multi-threaded storytelling, right? Like, I'm watching Mandalorian, and if I'm watching that, I got to watch this because I want to, you know, like, I, 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 I don't mind doing 
the homework, even if there are lows along the way. Um, but it was going to be a bummer, especially for how I felt about Mandalorian season three broadly, which I did not think was very good. Um, it's like, well, if that's, if that was a disappointment, cause it felt like it was doing so much heavy lifting to start merging these different universes. Like it was Favreau's stuff lining up with the rebels, clone wars worlds. And it was just extremely awkward and took away from the strengths of Mandalorian. If that's a show that appeals to you, which it did to me and just sort of threw most of those out the window in service of like a very Iron Man two situation um, is like one of the closest analogs I would make for the the most recent season. So I was going to be pretty bummed. It's like, all right, well, I kind of got through that show, but at least I got the foundation for like where they're going. Um, And if this one was just as clunky, I was like, ah, like that, that was just going to feel bad for someone that wants all these threads to come together in a meaningful way. And so again, I'm excited to be excited to see what happens next week. Um, And like, even like one of the lines that, you know, I was kind of actually sort of surprised that the second episode didn't end on the line of apprentice as opposed to cutting to a, you know, a shot of a, you know, a big thing being constructed. Cause that, that felt really powerful and meaningful for those two characters. Like, I want to see that arc play out. That seems like a really interesting um, uh, dynamic uh, to have as these characters go on their adventures. So yeah, excited to be excited. In terms of our upcoming coverage for this show, I, we're not going to be covering it week by week. I would say it is possible we'll do a finale wrap up. Uh, let us know if you want us to do that at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, also, you know, we we didn't really talk about this possibility, Patrick, but there's there's a potential possibility of an every other week situation. Uh, but let's talk about that off the air. Uh, let, yeah, let, let's know how much you enjoyed this conversation at decodingtv at gmail.com. Um, many of you might, be and we like, can also see how the show goes, right? Yes, like we've had yeah, these exactly. first episodes, we'll see what the arc of the show is going yeah. forward. And I think, as I, I told David in a in a in a private conversation, I was like, I'll let you know. Like I have a good like we've had this yeah. conversation. And I have a good sense of your baseline, and it's like, hey. Hey, yeah. yeah. Or maybe I'll just lie to you and be like, no, you got to get to episode You got to, you got to get to. It's great. It gets great, dude. It gets so good at episode seven. <laughs> it gets so good at episode seven. You got to check it out. Um, we're broadcasting live right now on youtube.com slash decoding TV. Modeman101 says, don't be surprised if the finale ends with a setup for a second season. Is this how uh, Mandalorian generally has been, Patrick Klepek? Um, I forget how the first and second season sort of, I felt they were more or less contained, even like Mandalorian season three without spoiling the bit. It sort of, you know, kind of ends in a place with certain characters where it could sort of end if it wanted to. Um, obviously it's not. And like those, those threads are going to continue. Like I, they haven't announced a release date for this film uh, yet. That is supposed to be sort of the culmination of all these arcs. And so I expect Ahsoka to get a, second season. Um, I think it's going to be necessary to continue doing all of the, the building towards uh, what they're trying, trying to accomplish by having the Mandalorian and Ahsoka uh, come together and sort of a, um, like a cinematic sort of conclusion, Um, which is itself is sort of, I don't know how that works, right? Like, so then you're marketing this film just to the people that watch the TV shows. Like, so then you've think of like, David, think of this, like we're watching Ahsoka, a show that's trying to bridge, animated shows mm-hmm. with newcomers to the live action stuff. That's going to culminate in a film that has to assume you have not seen the animated shows or the live. A- you know what I mean? Like, it's just like a bunch of people like, let's, 
I like making things hard. Let's make it a little bit harder to get people emotionally invested in our, like the crawl is going to be very long on that, on that movie. It's like, Oh boy, we got, where were you during the clone wars? Um, and, uh, so it's, it's interesting, but I do expect it to get a second season. I, 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 um, I would be shocked if this all wrapped up, um, in one go. The, uh, the the upcoming Dave Filoni movie is what you're referring to, and that's supposed to be mm-hmm. set during the New Republic era, right? Mm-hmm. So that would be this era that we're yes. in right now, right? So, yes, yes. Yeah. So the question is, at what point will that take place? And and you're assuming after the events of this uh, this TV show. Yeah, my, I mean, my guess is like that film is essentially going to act as a a bridge between, um, like a prequel to, like. A Force Awakens, like, or at least like fills in, <laughs> right, like, right? Like, maybe it's not like a five years later these events occur. I don't, in my head, I don't know exactly how that time all jumps, but I, I would assume a lot of the the work of these shows and that movie is going to be, oh, that's why Kylo, like, oh, th- no, of course, it makes sense why all of this exists now in in the universe, and yeah. a lot of that is going to be connected to to Thrawn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm also curious how these TV shows and films are tying into each other. The state of Star Wars filmically just seems like very bad right now. That's kind of what yeah. it feels like to be right. Like uh, as you mentioned earlier this uh, in this conversation, they, they've announced so many movies. Still, still waiting on that Ryan Johnson trilogy. You know that's. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm just sure that will Netflix, never just pull, just pull a Zack Snyder. Just let him just let him cook. Like it doesn't have to be Star Wars. Just like just give me a Ryan Johnson like sci-fi trilogy. Like I'm sure you can I'm sure you can figure it out. Um, yeah, that will, it's like that the, will the never happen. That will no, never it happen, won't. But, the, the experience but, of being a like a, a Star Wars fan and trying to get excited or interested in an upcoming film is like, ooh, fascinating new talent atta- like attached. Ooh, fascinating new talent has left the project. Like David Lindelof. <laughs> Well, acknowledging right? like that most recent article about what the show, like show winning of Lost, which was horrendous and awful and maybe sick to my stomach on a show that is pr- probably my favorite of all time, um, like has made the most like the leftovers is like one of the most the most powerful works of art I have ever experienced. I consider it to be one of the best shows ever made um, and like, sure. Let my boy cook on a Star Wars. And then you got quotes afterwards where he's like, you know, the best part uh, about <laughs> he's like, best part of my life right now is not working on a Star Wars film. And it's like, that's not a good creative environment. Like, that's that's not. Yeah, where well, he apparently be. got asked to leave it is, is my. Understanding. Yeah. 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 So. And it's just like, I don't envy like if you're it's, it's easy to, to ask, leave the Skywalker saga behind, leave that all behind. But then what you're left with is what is Star Wars? And. Yes, it's a big universe that can technically do anything. But then what is it? And I think that's a really difficult question to answer. And I think explains a lot of the fits and starts. And frankly, like, look backwards, like pull from the stuff that already happened rather than trying to figure out uh, what happens next. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like eventually, like, <laughs> like Disney's in a bad shape right now, or at least a weird shape right now. They're gonna make a Star Wars movie. Like Bob Iger, he'll get out there with the camera himself. But like <laughs> Kevin Kennedy has kind of been spinning her wheels, and I hate how she's been turned into a villain because that's just not nothing is as simple as 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 you know YouTube weirdos will make it seem. But clearly, creatively, they've had trouble figuring out 
what is Star Wars at that scale in this new in this new era of filmmaking yeah. in, in Hollywood. And now like that's like colliding with Disney saying like, you know what we love? We love franchises. So a Star Wars movie is coming. I don't know what it is. I don't know how soon. And I'm not sure if it'll be any good. But I, I, I'm very confident in saying in the next three years, there will be a Star Wars film come hell or high water. <laughs> it is inevitable. Uh, Modeman101 in the chat also says, I'm guessing that the movie will have the failure of Thrawn's attempt to rebuild the Empire and some hints toward the creation of the First Order. That would make sense. The idea that, like, basically there's a mini-boss to take mm-hmm. out before Snoke, right? Like, uh, in, the, in the character of Thrawn. Uh, you could generate a lot of um, sort of there'd be some decent that, that could be a decent movie you're facing off against like a formidable foe could be a new like Thrawn is a character that most people not Star Wars fan but most people don't know about uh and I think he could be a compelling villain so like that could be a cool cool idea uh and it's like hey here's another mini boss and yes he is defeated but also BT dub he 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 loses the battle but he wins the war <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair fair okay okay anyway um uh, let us know what you thought of uh, this conversation at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, and find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Uh, and be sure to follow us at youtube.com slash decodingtv. We broadcast live whenever we can. Check out Patrick's other podcast, Remap Radio, as well as his Substack newsletter at crossplay.news. He is Patrick Klepek. I am David Chen. We'll be back next week with a conversation about telemarketers, the Max docuseries. Until then, thanks so much for listening and watching. Goodbye.